Welcome to Restart Radio Show, a very different show about gadgets on Resonance 104.4 FM. This is a different show because, unlike most, we do not focus on new shiny, shiny things to buy. We focus on the value in the stuff we already have. The Restart Project aims for a shift of behavior towards a more sustainable and happier relationship with electronics. Our monthly community electronic repair events here in London are just the beginning. My name is Isabel Lopez from the Restart Project, and I'm joined today by Restarter volunteer Dave Lux. Hi. In this show, we're talking about tools and materials that we use to hack and fix. But first, uh, some news. So uh, the U.S. Customs and Border Patrol agents seized iPhone screens purchased by Jessa Jones, a repair professional in the U.S. Um, so Dave, uh, what's the issue here? Oh, oh well, wait a start. <laughs> um, okay. Now, some of you may remember a couple of weeks ago we covered a case in Norway where um, Apple had, I think they'd taken a civil law case out against a Norwegian repairer who'd purchased some replacement screens for iPhones uh, from a company, I believe, in China. Now, interestingly enough, Apple lost that case because of the complications of European law and also because the judge took a very careful view of what did and didn't happen. And this case, though, it looks like, um, I think it's, it's Immigration Customs Enforcement, whatever they call themselves, ICE. Basically, the US Customs dudes have decided to seize these screens without any legal process. Mm -hmm. They've just, Apple say they're counterfeited, therefore they've been seized. Um, what the end result will, of this will all be, we don't know. Yeah. Jessica Jones is not is not Apple. She does not have billions of dollars, literally, of spare cash waiting to pay lawyers. Yeah, so she hasn't got her her parts uh, back yet. Correct. Uh, so basically she has to um, purchase these parts from China, mm -hmm. uh, which were taken in the customs control. And what's the real issue here? So we've been um, talking about this counterfeit debate, right? Right. Um, so the parts that she got from China had this uh, Apple logo in them. Correct. Right? Now, the reason they had that Apple logo is not because some scurrilous counterfeiter had printed on there. These are actually genuine Apple parts. Mm -hmm. Because I'm sure most of you are well aware of this unpleasant thing where your screen cracks. Now, the screen on your phone, whatever kind of smartphone it is, iPhone, Samsung, whatever, can crack, and yet the phone still works perfectly because that is just a sheet of glass. Underneath that is all the fancy electronics, which does the touchscreen, the display, the backlight, all that stuff. Okay, So effectively, those are two separate pieces, components that are glued together. Mm -hmm. So clever people in China realized that what they could do is buy the cracked screen as a whole unit, carefully take the glass off and replace the glass and then sell that as a refurbished screen. Now, calling it a screen is a bit of a misnomer because it's a lot more than that. And the key part of it, all the electronics, the display part, the light, all that, is actually Apple. It's a genuine Apple part. The only difference is they've replaced the actual sheet of glass. On the, you know, the, the most basic and non-functional part of it, the sheet of glass, has been replaced by a non-Apple component. Right. So it's refurbishing, counterfeiting? Exactly. It's refurbishing, counterfeiting. You know? If I replace the exhaust pipe on my car with a genuine manufacturer-built exhaust pipe, but I use one bolt which isn't built by, you know, created by the manufacturer, is that thing counterfeiting? You know, is that fitting a non-standard part? Uh, you know, so my personal view is that's not counterfeiting, it's refurbishment. There are a whole lot of other points about this as well. Interestingly enough, the Norwegian court decided that the reason 
that it was okay was because that logo wasn't on show for two reasons. Firstly, it's inside the phone. And secondly, because that particular refurbisher had taken the very simple step of using a permanent marker and painting over the Apple logo. <laughs> right? And that made all the difference in law because this person was therefore not showing off the Apple logo. So it wasn't claiming to be a genuine Apple part. Right. Okay. So, <clears throat> excuse me. In European law, interestingly enough, it's also quite complicated what you can and can't do because the case in Norway was importing fake screens, you know, so-called counterfeit screens, which weren't really. But if they'd been made in the EU, apparently there would have been no question about that. Apparently that would have been fine. Yeah. I don't understand the finer points of the law, but apparently it was the fact that they were importing which may have made it dubious. But the judge very sensibly said, well, they're not trying to pass themselves off as genuine Apple parts, although they mostly are. So where's the crime? Yeah. Okay. In Jessica Jones's case, unfortunately, they had the logo visible. Now, of course, this is ridiculous because the logo is hidden inside the phone. You can't see it, right, when the phone's been repaired. So the only person who sees it is the importer and the repairer. So what's the big deal? And why have they put the logo on this tiny part? You know, you need almost a microscope to see it. It's about a tenth of an inch or so high. It's a tiny Apple logo. It's obviously put there to say this is a genuine Apple part. But why do they care? Right. There's also an overarching issue here, right? Like, why is Jessa Jones getting yeah. these parts from China? Yeah, that's the other problem, of course, is why does she need to import these slightly, what you might call grey market, yep. you know, parts that Apple can argue account of it. The reason is she can't buy genuine Apple parts yep. at all under any circumstances, period. This isn't, oh, they're expensive, or, oh, you have to go to a shop in another town to buy them, or you have to sign any kind of... You cannot buy them unless you're an Apple certified repairer. Becoming an Apple certified repairer is very expensive, okay, beyond most people's means. So Jessica Jones has the choice of either not doing the repair or buying these grey market screens. So what's a person to do? You know, she's got a thriving business, you know, built up mostly through word of mouth and her friends, you know, repairing, repairing otherwise broken stuff for people that probably couldn't afford a genuine Apple repair because, of course, again, those repairers who do decide to become Apple certified pay a lot of money and still have to pay a lot for the parts, so their repairs aren't cheap. Right. Right, so we'll see what we hear about this Fingers case. crossed. You know, there's a lot of online pressure on Apple, and this is also part of the wider right-to-repair movement yep. that we talked about before. In which Jessica Jones is actually very involved. She's very mm. involved with it, yes. She gave a speech the other day, which you can find online, um, about the right to repair and how it affects her. And quite a few American states are in the process of passing right to repair legislation, which would force manufacturers to make parts available. And by the way, this is not such a big deal as they make out. Car manufacturers in the US, because of this exact problem a long time ago, most states, and I think also in federal law, are forced to supply spare parts mm -hmm. legally. They have to, mm -hmm. okay, and for a reasonable price. So why shouldn't the same be true of electronics? Right. Okay, so uh, let's go to today's uh, other theme, which is materials we use to hack and fix. <laughs> so, Dave, I'm sure you have a lot to tell us about this. Mm -hmm. um, so what's like the top set of materials that you carry around? Oh, um, <laughs> okay, well, the one thing that everybody needs that we'll talk about in more detail later is screwdrivers, mm -hmm. right? All these, all these electronics things... And, of course, most other devices have screws holding them together. So you need a good set of screwdrivers. If you're interested in repairing small stuff, electronics, phones, t 
tablets, laptops and so on, you definitely need a good quality set of screwdrivers that cover all the possibilities. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, we'll talk later about the really weird kind of screws that we encounter, but for the moment, just bear in mind, it's not as simple as just, you know, slots or cross points. There's a load of other weird ones out there now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, well, talking about Apple, right? Well, <laughs> we hate doing this. Every week at some point, somehow on this show, we end up saying something bad about Apple. And one of the things Apple have done is they've invented their own screws. I'm not joking. This is a serious thing. There's a thing called the pentalobe screw. Pentalobe, yes. In other words, it's a five-star screw. Those of you who are into your DIY and maybe know about Torx screws, that's a kind of six-pointed screw. Now, if you can imagine that, but with five points instead of six, that's a pentalobe. Now, this did not exist until the iPhone 5 appeared. And the iPhone 5, with no word or anything else, suddenly appeared with these weird screws. There's two little screws on the base that you need to undo to, take, to open it up you know, to do any kind of work on it, those screws are pentalobe screws. Now, thank goodness, of course, we have a thriving alternative market in things like screwdrivers. So Apple did this, and literally the same afternoon, there was a third party in China who was selling pentalobe screwdrivers. Right. <laughs> right. So yeah, it has a happy ending in one way, but it's just frustrating that manufacturers do these trivial things which have no other purpose than to stop other people than them getting into their products. Yeah, that's interesting because we were looking at my laptop, right, which is a MacBook Pro, and yeah. I do have um, I you don't have the Pentalobe ones. You don't have the Pentalobe because how old is your I MacBook? Think, yeah, I think I bought this one oh, maybe like six years ago. Yeah. Uh, but it seems that it's <clears throat> something that now every Apple every, laptop has. Every right? laptop, every I believe every iPad, certainly every iPhone has these pentalobe screws. And like I say, you can buy a screwdriver for them, but you have to do that. It's another inconvenience. It's another minor pain. It's another way that you know, repair is made slightly more difficult. Right. So it's like these kind of things that kind of stick, that are decided upon and then stick in all of the devices that manufacturers make, right? Like we were also talking about batteries, for instance. Oh, Lord, yes. Batteries, when you're... I, I used to have a Samsung... No, no disrespect to Samsung here. Everybody's doing it. I used to have a Samsung Note 3, which had a big battery, which was replaceable. It was great, you know, and I actually had a spare battery so that, you know, if I forgot to charge my phone, I could just grab the spare battery, stick it in there and off we go. Also, when the battery finally died, you could recycle it very easily and put a new one in. Right. Now, if you want to do that, you need a fancy set of screwdrivers to open the phone up. You also need to usually unglue the battery. Okay. Right. Now, ungluing something is unless you know an expert in the glues and everything else, you don't want to be pouring weird solvents and paint strippers and things into your phone. Potentially killing it, right? <laughs> almost certainly destroying it. Yeah. So you have to very carefully ease the, the battery off the glue. You can't warm it up to soften it either because this is usually a lithium-ion battery. And as we all know, those are dangerous. I'm sure you all remember the exploding phone stories from several manufacturers. And I've actually seen a, a laptop where the battery started to swell up. Quite scary. The, la the laptop was actually bulging. Yeah. So don't try that. Don't get a heat gun out and start warming your battery up in order to try and get it out. Not a good idea. You might end up with a, an exploding battery. But this means that if you want to get the battery out of your phone to replace it, which you can, by the way, you can buy replacement batteries, even if you're not supposed to be able to, um, from the manufacturer. Plenty of third parties sell them. Go and look on your favorite auction site or whatever. And... Uh, you can do it, but it requires immense patience. You usually require what we call a spudger, 
which is another tool we'll men- I'll mention now, which is basically something like a guitar plectrum or piece of plastic that you use to ease something open or mm-hmm. to open up a case that's been clipped together. They're known as spudgers in the trade. You can use a guitar plectrum, right. pick. Um, the edge of a credit card works very well as well sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, don't use your current credit card. Keep the old ones, you know. When they say cut your credit card up, cut it up into nice triangular shapes so you can use it to slide down the edge of cases that don't want to open. And, yeah, given that, yes, you can replace the battery pretty easily. So there you are. You need a set of screwdrivers and a spudger, and you can replace the battery on your phone. Yeah. It's interesting that you mentioned that there's stuff we carry around every day that might be super helpful for a repair, right? Not only fancy... Yep. Fancy stuff. Yeah, credit cards are great for easing things open. Um, There's also a very nice um, thermoplastic material, which basically it's a plastic that you can melt in a cup of very hot water, and you can then mould that to repair parts. So, for instance, I had a hairdryer somebody brought into a restart party, and that what had happened was a tiny piece of plastic had broken off the on-off switch, so it wouldn't switch on anymore. So I just moulded another piece of plastic to the right shape, fixed it onto the switch, and away you go. Right. And that's, this is a form card. This is a product right? called Form Card, which I'm glad to say is made in my neck of the woods in Hackney. Um, which is like a credit card shape, it's pretty a credit much. Card it's pretty size, thin, yeah. right? Yeah, it's a credit card size and shape piece of meltable plastic. Right. Which, so you can, and you don't need a blowtorch or anything. You can just use a cup of hot water. Right. And I'm told that some repair actually did actually go into one of the coffee shops and ask for a cup of hot water just so he could melt his form card sure. and then go and do a repair. <laughs> he was looked at quite strangely when he dipped his piece of plastic into his cup of hot water. But hey, you know, Fair. it works, right? Yeah. Um, you can use a, a heat gun, a blowtorch, whatever. And what happens is it goes soft and goes sticky. So then you can mold it around something, mold it around to the shape, trim it if you need to when it gets a bit hard, and then you just leave it to harden. And it's reusable. You can melt it off. It's also biodegradable. You bury it and it disappears in two weeks. But it's completely, wa- but it's completely waterproof. Yeah. Which I find rather wonderful. Yeah. And it's not, yeah, it's not just useful for repairs. You can mold extra handles onto things that need it. You know, all sorts of little things like that, little hacks and improvements to things. Um, yeah, I've seen people do like phone stands with a phone card, hacking yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but like then, said, but then, yeah. like you can reuse it, right? So, like you can remelt it. You can remelt it again. I've done that. Yeah, I made mm-hmm. myself, I made myself a little stand to hold a circuit board that I was working on, and when I finished, I just melted it down flat again. So we are restart talking about materials we use to fix and hack. So, uh, Dave, we're talking about form card, right? Mm-hmm. And sticky stuff <laughs> that we yeah, use yeah. to fix. <laughs> so here, um, yeah, um, anything from glues to tapes to these fancy yep. new materials that you can tell us about. Yeah, um, glues. Glues are an interesting one because, unfortunately, at restart parties, we don't get to use as much glue as we would like. That sounds a bit weird, doesn't it? But um, glues are one of those things. The instant glue, the so-called super glues, are not that great, actually, for most repairs. Um, They're too rigid, Hmm. and they're very good for instant repairs on hard plastic and maybe metal. But for other things, they're not that good. And they have a habit of coming undone. You have to have the surfaces very clean and... Usually, if it's smooth plastic, you have to roughen it up before it will stick well and so on. But there are plenty of other standard glues. Um, 
without prejudice, I'll mention a couple of brand names. Many of you probably have a tube of Yoohoo or Bostick at home. Hmm. Those are very good, and they have the advantage that when they're dried, they stick very well, but they're also slightly flexible. So you can use them for things that need to be bent. I use it for repairing shoes occasionally, for instance, and things like that. Hmm. Um, Tapes are not as useful as you might think because they're not really electrically safe. You can't, for instance... I've seen people do this, but I don't recommend it. If you have some piece of electrical equipment, like the laptop power supply brick, you can crack that open because they're usually moulded shut and then repair it and then stick some insulating tape around it, but that's not really a permanent solid repair. It's a bit kind of dubious. Right. All very well for you to use it at home, but don't kind of carry it around and accidentally electrocute something, somebody when the glue falls off the yes. tape. Health and safety. Yeah, indeed. And I think in general, yeah, that's... A good point about health and safety. Some of those glues are a bit nasty. You know, they can super glue can stick to your fingers. Um, those other glues can give off nasty vapors and things like that. So do take care. Work in a well ventilated environment with any of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, we don't have as much use for tape as you might think because gl- sticking wires together usually requires something a bit better than insulating tape. And uh, what we really need for that is something we'll talk about in a minute, which is soldering or other techniques like that. And I must give another plug for my other favourite material, a thing called Sugru. Mm-hmm. Now, Sugru is a mouldable silicone rubber. In other words, what you can do with this is it comes soft and squidgy out of the packet. You then mould it onto something, it sticks, leave it 24 hours, and it's gone to a kind of hard, not hard, but rubbery, hard texture or right. something. So for people who might not know about Sugru, it's some sort of like uh, blue tag Kind of, yes. that you can shape. Exactly. Uh, yeah, and then it hardens, right? Then it hardens into mm. a kind of hard rubber. Mm-hmm. Nice thing about this is, apart from being waterproof, electrically insulating, all those good things, is it's very easy to shape. Wet your damp your fingers, you can shape into all sorts of beautiful shapes. So you can use it not just for sticking things back together. Again, if I have a big hole in my shoes, I use Sugru for that. Mm-hmm. I mould it into a kind of flat, so, sort of circular shape, squidge it onto the hole in the shoe, massage it into the material of the shoe, especially with trainers, which are usually made out of some kind of synthetic leather kind of material. It sticks very well to that. Make sure you clean the shoe first, and then you can fix holes in your shoes. Um, right. It comes in multiple colours for those of you who are stylish. <laughs> or if you're not, you can just have a bizarre purple patch on your black and white trainers or whatever, you know. Um, so, right. What are the potential like cons or things that you want to Um Well, they don't recommend it for mains if you've got some kind of mains electricity. It's not certified for use of mains electricity. You shouldn't mm-hmm. use it to repair the mains cable on your um, vacuum cleaner or whatever in case it falls off. But in general, it's pretty good. Sticks to most things. Um, and you can use it not just for repairing things, but also for adding useful modifications to things. One of the great examples is if you've got something which is hard to handle um, either because it just is or because maybe you have a particular problem with strength in your fingers or something like that, you can actually use that to add new handles to something, for instance. I've seen lovely examples of cameras that have been add, added. They've had finger grips added to them. Saucepan handles that are a bit awkward. People have enlarged them by putting lumps of sucre on them. Even a lovely example of a fencing sword that had grips added to it so that someone who was not fully able with their hands could actually grip and use a and do perfect, you know, competitive fencing. Right. So it's interesting because these materials are all very like, easy to carry around. Mm-hmm. Uh, glue, sugru, tapes, the form card. Mm-hmm. But now uh, 
Let's talk about something a bit more complicated, which is <laughs> soldering. Ah, or, soldering. as some people say, soldering. Yes, our American cousins do. I don't know why they don't <laughs> pronounce the L in the middle. I've never got that. Soldering. So um, what's soldering? What soldering, do you use it for? Right, is when you need to join two pieces of metal together. Mm-hmm. And soldering consists of melting a particular kind of metal called solder, which comes usually in the form of a wire. Mm-hmm. So you melt the end of this and use it as a piece of molten metal to join two other pieces of metal together, typically electrical wires. Right. If you ever looked at a circuit board, solder is what they use to actually fix the components to the circuit board. Now, when you're doing this on an industrial scale, you have some fancy tools to do this. If you're doing it at home or in a repair environment, you'll usually have a soldering iron, which is basically something which has a handle and a hot bit on the end, which can be of varying sizes depending on what job you're doing. And that heats up to about 200 degrees or so. Mm-hmm. which is hot enough to melt solder, which is an alloy of metal specifically designed to have a low melting point. So you use that, to, the soldering iron, to melt the solder and you then f- let the solder flow onto your two wires, for instance, join the two wires together, heat it up again, and they melt into one, effectively. So it gives you really good electrically conductive joints. Right. What about health and safety here? What about health and safety? Two issues. Firstly... Accidentally doing what I've done more than once, which is forgetting that you've left the soldering iron switched on and picking it up by the wrong end. That's very embarrassing because there's a <laughs> smell of burning flesh and then you drop it with a scream. Um, and you said 200 degrees? It's 200 degrees, yeah, <laughs> which is not good. Um, it varies depending on the solder, but do your research. And it's also, there are other little details. For instance, there's um, you need a compound called flux to actually clear the... Um, contamination and the um, oxidization off the wires that's incorporated in the solder but it vaporizes and it's quite unpleasant so again do this in a well ventilated environment Um, you can actually buy special fans with a filter in them to suck away the soldering fumes it's that bad it's not desperate you're not going to die from it but it's unpleasant and if you do it too much you will get a sore throat from it right but there's this more uh, recent thing called well this more recent type of soldering right Mm-hmm. which is a cold soldering? Yeah, that's a bit of a misnomer. It's very clever. What they do, instead of heating up the soldering iron bit, the part on the end, what they do is they have a cold soldering iron. is a whole new invention. It's a device which passes an electric current between two pieces of, I think it's graphite, which are very close together. What happens then is you touch... It doesn't, the current doesn't flow until you touch it with something metal, the solder. So you touch the solder to the gap between these two pieces of metal. That makes an electric current which almost instantly melts the solder. So it's just like soldering, but you don't have to heat something up. Right. Seems safer. It's definitely safer. It's a hell of a lot quicker. It's a few seconds instead of a few minutes waiting for your soldering iron to warm up. Great. But the problem is you're passing electric current through the solder. If you're putting that onto a delicate electronic piece of electronics, who knows what effect that's going to have. Even if it's not actually going through the electronics, there'll be a little bit of, I think they call it leakage current. Hmm. There'll be a tiny bit of current will go through the rest of the board. So it could be a bit of a risk on very delicate electronics. Right. So usually I would recommend stick, stick to either using it on big components like switches and things like that, where the delicate electronics have been disconnected, and use it on, say, large domestic appliances like vacuum cleaners and so on. Right. And lastly, on soldering, there's this uh, potential alternative too, which is um, creamed copper too. Oh, yes. Um, if anybody out there was at FixFest, possibly you can re- refresh my memory. Somebody talked about this. It's a very simple technique. You can buy 
very fine diameter, about two millimeters wide, copper tubing. It's used by model makers to make model steam engines and things like that. And it has a very, it's very useful because what you can do is if you find a piece of tubing that's a little bit larger than the two wires you're trying to join, you just cut a piece off about five millimeters long, mm -hmm. stick the two ends of the wires into it and squeeze it. Because right. copper is nice and soft and it will bend. You just get a pair of pliers and you can crimp it together. And that will give you a very good joint, as good as a solder joint. Right. But Dave, uh, for people who've never used this material, so it's unique, like where do you start or where do you get information okay. on what's for what and health and safety issues? Okay. Good, um, <laughs> good place to start is the Restart Wiki. Sure. Plug for our own website, of course. And we have a wiki with a lot of comprehensive information on soldering. I hope there'll be information on copper tubing soon, as soon as I can write it. And all sorts of stuff like that, glues, what they're good for, what they're not good for, mm -hmm. and some health and safety information too. And also, of course, all your favorite websites, YouTube, all those kind of things, they're a source of good information. But do double check things. There are some strange people out there who do strange things. And sometimes people recommend things which we wouldn't personally recommend. For instance, you know, soldering, uh, if you don't have a well-ventilated you know, study or office or wherever you're doing your soldering, right. don't do it. Right. Yeah. Make sure you can open the windows and so on because it does get pretty horrible. I've been in a cellar where somebody was soldering once. Not fun at all. So... Yeah, that's, this is something <clears> people do at restart parties, right? Like you do need that window closed yeah, to it yeah, and yeah. you need the... Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Your safety uh, space. Exactly. And similarly, just little things. If you're using a lot of glue, you know, there have been cases where... I remember a very sad case many years ago where a guy was not relevant to this directly, but guy was putting down a floor, a vinyl tiled floor using glue, and he didn't have any windows open. And of course, the fumes made him pass out. That was bad enough, except that he passed out and his head fell into the part of the floor that he was just, oh he just put the glue on. Now, um, Paul, our engineer, is laughing at this Sorry, because. <laughs> but you can imagine what happened. He had to wait until somebody discovered him several hours later, and they then had to call the ambulance. And he had to have the side of his head shaved very carefully by the ambulance crew to get him off the floor. Oh okay, <laughs> so I know that's that's an extreme example. Okay, but it does happen. So just beware if you're using anything that smells funny or something that's hot, also even something that's sharp. You know, occasionally you'll be tempted to use, say a craft knife, you know, what they call a Stanley knife, to open up something that doesn't want to be opened. If you're doing that, please, please don't do what I do want, did once and cut it to move towards yourself. Always have the blade pointing away from yourself. Otherwise, you'll end up with a nasty cut. Okay? Good advice. Good advice. <laughs> um, other things, even a screwdriver. People have cut themselves on screwdrivers, you know. If you're being a bit clumsy and you've got a very good quality screwdriver, it will have quite a sharp edge on it, Right. I'm talking not so much about crosshead screwdrivers, although even those can be a bit dangerous, but a simple flat-bladed screwdriver, if you think about it, it's a blade with a flat sort of edge on it, on the end of it. And it's enough, if you slip and you're holding the thing in your other hand, you will probably gouge your thumb pretty badly. So even something like that, you think, screwdriver, how can I help myself? That's how you can do it. Sorry. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, but then once you're a bit more technical and into how to use this stuff, um, I was wondering, do you hack the material that you used to hack? <laughs> do uh, you get it? What's the role of improvising when you do oh, this material? Oh, there's a lot of improvising goes on. Sometimes, for instance, my favorite example um, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, I used a rubber band instead of a water seal. The water seal on this, it was a cat's drinking fountain. 
whoa. True. Uh, <laughs> and the seal had failed. He just worn out with age. So I got a rubber band, wrapped that round instead of in place of the seal, put it back together and it worked fine. So rubber bands. Also, if you've got a screw that's slightly damaged, a rubber band is very good. You see online or see on the Restyle Wiki, you can basically use that to kind of to fix the... It'll help bonding the screwdriver to the screw. It'll fill in the gaps. So you just stretch a, a rubber band over the top of the screw head, push the screwdriver in really hard and turn it. That may actually pull it, you know, allow you to open up something that has a screw that's been partially stripped. Right. And it's also another thing that's very easy to, to carry around with you. Oh, right? fine, yeah. Yeah. Okay, thanks a lot, Dave. Um, so... If you'd like to fix anything, <laughs> now you know a lot about tools, but you might need some help. So if you'd like to to get help, uh, we've got some uh, restart parties coming up this weekend, both on Saturday, 19th May, one at Le Leytonstone Repair Cafe, and another at The Loop at Pembury, hosted by Hagney Fixers. Um, for more upcoming events, you can follow us at, at Restart Project on Facebook and Twitter. And lastly, thanks to Optonize and Cassini Sound for our music, which was made with lasers, spinning plastic discs, and discard electronics. We're here live every week on Tuesdays at 1.30 p.m. Until next week. Bye. <laughs>